and welcome to episode 24 of your favourite exchange, Link, and Office 365 podcast, The UC Architects. Recorded on Sunday the 7th of July 2013, we're mostly coming to you from hot climates as summer has finally arrived. I'm your host, Steve Goodman, Exchange MVP, and I'm chilling out this evening with some of our regular co-hosts. This evening I'm joined by Michael Van Horenbeek, Johan Veldus, Sirkan Varanglou, John Cook and Justin Morris. On the show today, we're going to be talking about TechNet subscriptions, TechEd North America and Europe, or at least a bit of a roundup on it, a few Exchange 2013 topics, some news about Exchange-related features in Windows 8.1, aka Windows Blue, uh, new tools for Office 365 and Outlook troubleshooting, and for a link, we've got the... Uh, CU2 updates coming out, the new hosting pack, and application updates for the, the clients and uh, modern Metro apps, uh, and a few other great new uh, news items from the Link world. Uh, but before we get started, we'll check out how everyone is. I've just returned from Weymouth, where I've spent a week chilling out near the beach, keeping a four-year-old entertained. How's everyone else? Michael, how are you? I'm fine. Thanks. Um, trying to adjust after being away for quite uh, quite a while. Still trying to keep up with uh, emails and stuff, but I'm I'm doing fine. And Joanne, how are you? Hi, Steve. I'm fine, thanks. Busy with a, a large project and some uh, side stuff uh, with uh, related to Link. So pretty uh, nice projects. Justin, um, how's things with you? Yeah, really good. Thanks, Steve. Um, just come back from the two tech-eds, so that kept most of my June occupied in the first and, and last week. And uh, I've finally kind of uh, gotten off my 18-month-long voice project that I was uh, continually telling everybody I was on. Uh, so that's yeah, that's, that's all wrapped up now and been doing some uh, design and architectural work for, for other customers, so it's good to, to vary it up a bit. Cool. And John, how's things? Good. Uh, this is our first uh, recording uh, after the one-year mark. So let's, uh, we forgot to mention a happy anniversary uh, to the podcast. So yes, yes. Episode 24. We've year. been going over a year now. Uh, happy birthday to How us. Shall we say that? <laughs> I won't, but you guys can if you want. Oh, wait, I'm going to get the cake. <laughs> Other than that, I'm still, uh, I'm still recovering from, you know, yesterday. It was the only, the only Amer- token American on the podcast today. Yesterday was... Uh, <laughs> Uh, the, the typical day where people light off all their fireworks for Fourth of July. If you don't light them off on the Fourth itself, usually you know you light them on the closest weekend. So this year, <laughs> this was the weekend. So I lit off some on on Thursday, and and then the, the big show was last night. And I still have all my fingers, so that's good. So uh, so it's holidays over for you. Back to work on Monday. Yeah, yeah. Next week's gonna start being uh, brutal because <laughs> a lot of things just kind of kind of push back this week. Everyone was pretty much off. And last but not least, Sirkan, how's things? Ah, it's great. Uh, I'm still trying to recover from my trip to Turkey, where I spent three weeks, uh, which was nice, with family and friends. And now trying to get back to projects and, yeah. Are you back in Bermuda then? Yeah, I'm back in Bermuda now. It's it's pretty hot in here. (laughs) Well, it's hotter than the Caribbean here. Uh, Apparently, it's 30 degrees, so uh, no complaints uh, this side of the pond. Uh, So are you going back to Turkey, though, soon? Uh, Did I see on your your Facebook? Uh, What do you mean? I've been there and got back. 
Uh, I thought you were going back over to work. Uh, oh, oh, no. Right. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not at this moment. <laughs> yeah, I kind of wondered about the timing. Uh, so, uh, so yes, yeah, so you're still working out in Bermuda for the, the yep. time being. Yep. And thank you very much, guys. And let's start off our top stories for today. And the first one is is not really just an exchange uh, and a link, an Office 365 item, uh, but it does reflect the the move to the cloud uh, that people are, are making and the way things uh, are starting to change. Or at least that's the, the way some people uh, are thinking of it. And that's TechNet subscriptions. If you don't know, they're killing them off. Ooh. Ooh. Um, and there's a lot of people who aren't happy uh, because there aren't many alternatives. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and again, I'm, I'm sure if uh, you're even remotely interested in, in uh, Windows-based IT stuff, this is a. You heard the news uh, last week, um, and if you're a current subscriber, you got the ominous email, uh, you know, informing everyone that uh, as of what August 31st, you'll no longer be able to purchase new. Technet subscriptions, and you have up until your current customer, you, you have up until then to um, renew, or else that's it. So if so, like you know, mine for example expires in October. Um, I talked to Technet, and they said, yeah, as long as you subscribe by the 31st of August, you get another year. But that's that, at least as of now, that's it. Um, yeah, uh, you know, obviously big outcry um, because I mean, you know, for a variety of reasons. But my my biggest beef, I think, generally, is that there's no alternative. Um, they cite MSDN as the alternative, which, and I haven't looked at MSDN in years and years and years. I always thought it was like, okay, it was, well, it's like 1200 bucks. I mean, you know, if I have to suck it up and pay for it, I'll do it. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Very, very get, expensive. Yeah, yeah, but that that's only, the, the minimum one is just like the operating systems, I think, and that's 600 bucks. If you want uh, servers in an office, that's $6,500 yeah. for year one, and, and then 2500 bucks a year. the equivalent year. So, of a TechNet subscription, it's $6,000. Yeah, versus two hundred fifty dollars. I mean, it's like, um, guys, that's a little ridiculous. You know, ten times per year, uh, and then an outlay of sixty five hundred bucks is kind of ridiculous. You know, so um, I I hope they're going to change their mind. I, you know, there was that we will put a link to there was uh, some uh, somebody started a petition online to to you know Cody Skidmore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I hope people fill that out. Uh, really do. I hope they really look at that long and hard and realize that they're, you know, and again, and the alternative, they're saying the other alternatives are, you know, the evals. We all know that the evals <laughs> not the same, you know, a time bomb yeah. is not the same. And, yeah. uh, you can I always mean, work in configuring something and then it's just going to blow up in, 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 in 90 days or whatever, you know, the time bomb period is, it's just not fair, you know? And then well, there's this also is... the, the, Oh, sorry. Well, there's also the problem that when you're trying to, to test something with a older version, like I do, quite regularly, you know, go for Exchange 2007, even a 2003. I could go to TechNet, spin out, download it, and start using it. Where do I go now? I don't have the, the resources to go to MSDN uh, and, and actually do something about that. So that, I was surprised to see the, the, the decision they took there. I think it's going to increase casual piracy because some techies oh, are probably going to download copies from wherever they can. Uh, that yeah, might be from yeah. the volume licensing service center that they have for their organization and just not activate it. Uh, and it could be from other more nefarious sites, which uh, isn't good for anyone, really. It's not good for the people doing it. It's not good for Microsoft. Uh, it's, it's, it's just bad in general. Uh, so it's right, a bit it, of a disappointment. Uh, and for, for people who who need to, to either write long articles uh, or... Or, or test for a long amount of time uh, it is terrible because 120 days is, would be useless to me uh, and it takes 
the best part of uh, a week of my spare time to build uh, a lab. Uh, I, ca- I can't do that every couple of months. Absolutely. And again, it's also, look, I mean, you know, everyone's job function is different, but in me as an independent contractor, you know, I go from, from organization to organization. Um, I, I don't have, I don't work for a company. I work for myself. I don't have an infrastructure. My infrastructure is my lab. That's my infrastructure. And I can't tell you how many times that I, you know, and obviously like all of us, we always want to be ahead of the curve. So whenever a new release or something comes out, we're already, we're already running it at home the, you know, the minute we, can, we possibly can. Um, you, how many, how many, how many link and exchange seats have you think you've sold just by the demonstration of, hey, is that what, what's that, what are you running there? Is that link 2013? Cool. Uh, you know, in a, 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 a very brief demo to the right type of uh, customer, you know, can, can, can really, really, you know, sell seats basically. <laughs> you know well, what I mean? And, and that's I, the and point of things away, like the action pack. So the, the things that they True. have at Microsoft Partners is the action pack. But, but that, that, but it doesn't help help massively. Uh, I I was uh, on a a job the other week and I needed Exchange 2000. And I need TechNet to get that so I can just quickly have a look at it, understand the way it's going to work for the job I've got to do because I don't touch it every day. Uh, And how many times do you need Windows 2003? Uh, As Michael says, uh, evals don't cut it unless they're going to bring all the old products back as evals, which I don't think they're going to do. What if I need DOS 622? I mean, where am I going to go get it? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, uh, you know, if you want to make a YouTube video of upgrading every single Exchange version, uh, since uh, what well, I think Exchange 2000 is the the earliest version that they've got, but uh, that it, it's still stuff that I, you come across, and you need to be able to to learn about it quickly. Uh, you can't mess around. Uh, you need to get your hands on on that product uh, within. You know, a matter of hours, so you can spend a couple of hours just re- uh, getting a bit of a refresher on it and building a quick lab. Uh, and yeah, for for longer stuff, when you need to really go deep dive on a product, you can't rebuild massive right. lab environments, uh, which might all be sitting on a, a single host, but you can't just rebuild those uh, every couple of months just because uh, that's what the restrictions say. And people, uh, especially people who do work for larger companies, not. Uh, not like as where we're consultants, but where they have access to volume licensing, uh, will use whatever means they can to get their job done. Yeah, and, and if the fact of the matter is, okay, so if, if the cloud, if cloud-based option or a 365 subscription option isn't feature complete as as the on-prem version that we're getting from TechNet, then you can't just take that away. You know, I mean, it's like I understand I'm not supposed to be running my, my, my business uh, uh, on on the TechNet uh, copies, right? But the fact of the matter is, I'm not going to pay 3,500 bucks or whatever it is for a Link uh, 2013 standard edition server. I'm just not going to set my budget to do so. So if I if I can't, you know, if I if I, if I need the functionality of on-prem, but I, and I can't get the, re- the equivalent by a cloud subscription, then then you're sort of leaving me nowhere to go. And I think you know, uh, I think also to add insult to injury, the way the way that the the announcement was worded, you know, the uh, well, you know, the shifting IT landscape, blah blah blah, was almost insulting. It's as if okay, so in this magical world where everyone's on the cloud one day, poof, I mean, you know, it's like it makes no sense. There's gonna be people out there. Uh, the IT pro today is the same guy that it has been for the 10, 15 years ago. You know, I mean, it's the same kind of thing. We 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 build the stuff ahead of time. We try to get ahead of the curve. So when our customers want to deploy it, we, we don't we know we, we can't we just shrug our hands like, well, I don't have the bits. I haven't seen Link 2014 yet. You know, I mean, <laughs> that's not what they want to hear. You know, <laughs> they want to say, yeah, I've been running it for for six months. It's great. You know, here's the blah blah blah, and I can show you a brief demo. Like I said, I was saying earlier. I mean, that's it's priceless to me. You know. Uh, well, that's yeah. We come into the age of the consultant that turns upon Sai and uh, uh, and gets uh, Google or Bing to keep you happy out and goes, all right, <laughs> let's work out how we're going to do this. <laughs> 
it's, it's not going to happen now, is it? Uh, and no, if uh, uh, you know, ninety days is is all you need to to dip in and out of becoming an expert on it, then great. But mm, uh, I, I know that some uh, sets of articles that I've written take more than 120 days, uh, the longest trials to, to write, and I've got all sorts of stuff in there, and it needs to stay static. I've been you know, desperate to upgrade my, my lab server uh, to 2008, uh, 2012 R2, uh, but I can't. I've got to leave it as is for probably the next two or three months, uh, just so I can get uh, a series out the door. If I was using evals, I'd be absolutely uh, in trouble. Right. And, and again, if you know something's time-bombed, you're not going to spend the time to fully configure it like you would if you knew this thing was going to be around for a while. I'm not going to uh, buy a SIP trunk and, and, and do all this stuff uh, to put to a link server that I know is only going to be around three months. You know, I mean, it's just kind of stupid, right? So, uh, you know, and again, it, it, it really frosts my ass, to be quite honest, because there was that, we talked about it, I think, a couple episodes ago, where I ran into that, that, that link bug with uh, Usiwa and uh, Max uh, endpoints. Um, I could verify that and to mic and help Microsoft out on the call by putting it in my lab and so, no, like, here. Here's a, here's a you know totally plain standard edition environment and this you get the same bug boom you know it's a, you know, it's guaranteed it's a bug now go fix it if I don't have that kind of access to do that then that that, that that's you know Microsoft themselves is getting the advantage of us having this software running that we can reference against I mean it's just it, well, that's, in no that's way the it point makes isn't it that's why you get uh, the, the two uh, support calls in, included well, in it I'm gonna miss that too <laughs> well yeah because I um, use those yeah uh, and uh, and people go well it was just for evaluating but if it's just for evaluating it's it's obviously clearly not it's for being able to reproduce these things and have a personal lab environment that you can keep uh, building and rebuilding uh, to to learn develop your skills and and, and try and reproduce issues like that uh, but this IT landscape is shifting stuff I mean that that and I'm playing right into your hands here is going down the, the Google path that's what they were doing four or five years ago saying that it it people you don't need them uh you you, you don't uh, run your own generator on sites you use the power grid uh and it's, it's that mentality that uh, you don't need it pros just shift it all to the cloud you don't need them to know anything really they they can just be a uh, glorified janitors and uh, keep your desktops up to date or or not even that uh, just shift them into the cloud as well we've got cloud-based desktops too uh, so the the idea that the it pro is no longer an asset to a company uh, is, is is completely at odds with reality yeah well i mean this is this is well, um, and we can speak to this okay you know, the problem is that that you know I I'm in favor of the cloud. I'm doing a lot of cloud stuff, and I'm I've got nothing against the cloud. But to be realistic, there are a lot of companies out there that are not moving today. They're not moving tomorrow, and it'll right. take them quite a while to move. Um, despite whatever Google or Microsoft or whatever other company wants them to believe. In the end, even if a company um, decides to move partially to the cloud, there will always be a, some sort of uh, infrastructure on premises, and there will always be someone who, who, do, who does some management on that. So the problem I'm having, and I'm okay with moving email to Office 365, fine, but Someone has to move it from on-premises to Office 365, and Microsoft doesn't have enough resources to do all those migrations, for one. And secondly, um, there are still some things that are being left behind. You know, um, I've been talking to a customer recently about cloud monitoring. You know, um, it's it's something that's getting bigger and bigger because you might trust the company where you're putting your data in the cloud, but 
you do you do want to monitor that just as you monitor your own infrastructure you want to make sure that everything is working so we we do see a shift but if the IT pros that are needed to make that happen don't even have access to the bits to start working on it. How do you want to, or how on earth do you want to make sure they have the the proper skill set to make that happen uh, without actually screwing everything up? So it's it's a a, a two faced message. Uh, one, yeah, we're moving to the cloud and we're moving everyone as soon as possible. Fine, I'm fine with that, but don't actually take take away the skills that you need to actually make that move happen and that's that's something that's happening here so the the, the message is is twofold and there is there is a problem with that that's what right. I, I mean it's like you know Microsoft still the more they push companies companies are simply saying look we're not doing this we're not going to the cloud and here's the reasons why if you keep on pushing this and also neglecting the product that we've paid for on from we're going to go do something else I mean I think they've taken it for granted in some ways as much as we love exchange and we know that there's really not well, let's face it, any real competition other than the fact, you know, then no mail at all or or some cloud-based mail, you know. From Gmail. Yeah, exactly, some other hosted thing. I mean, we know there's not much other competition, but, I mean, in some ways, pisses you off the way they're kind of treating on-prem. And, I, and again, I have to focus on exchange, but uh, it's just this just mentality generally, like, you will go to the cloud. It's obvious. It's not obvious to everybody. Well, um, the customers that I see moving aren't, aren't thinking, right, we're going to move to the cloud and just scrap IT. Uh it's it's just another abstraction. Uh, so the, the the main abstraction of hardware, physical service, that's what the best part of being made. Uh, people have moved, embraced virtualization, apart from some exchange guys, uh, and and use very, very large virtualized infrastructures uh, or what, whatever fits for their business. That idea that you manage uh, a, a piece of tin uh, on, on a long-term basis is, is gone. Hardware is, for a lot of organizations, throw away. So that moving uh, of virtual machines to wherever's cheapest is it's not a big decision, but the still uh, maintains the reasons to, to maintain that. So if you decide to start hosting some of your infrastructure in Azure, for example, then you're still going to need some guys that can manage network devices and manage the servers and manage the applications on them and perhaps redevelop those applications to work better in Azure uh, as opposed to working on normal VMs. Uh, and you've still got a line of business applications that you're going to be supporting for, for years and years into the future. So th- this idea that the IT Pro is gone, no, it's just evolving. It's still the, the same beast. It's not a business analyst or, uh, or a user-led thing, uh, at oh, least in my eyes. Yeah, I mean, and it goes into even, it goes deeper for me in terms of my, you know, I don't resentment is a strong word, but I've been very angry for many years. I mean, I know MVPs get, you, know, you guys get an MSDN subscription, right, as part of the perk, but um, MCMs have never gotten anything, you know, like even a free TechNet subscription. Um, um, we get no discounts at, at tech, tech, going to tech ed, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, it's sort of this like, you know, I'm paying into this system and I'm, 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 I'm out there slinging and, you know, I'm a foot soldier for your product day in and day out for, as my living, right? And how much and does I, it cost to them? do M, uh, MCM or MCSM? Uh, eight, 18 grand, 18.5 if you pay, pay the full tuition plus, you know, expenses. So, I mean, it's for most just people. To, just plus, to add that in? Uh, yeah, just to add tuition. So, so it, you know, it's not so, as if you uh, aren't contributing to the machine. 
yeah, right. I mean, I've done it three times. <laughs> what kind of idiot am I, right? And I can't even get TechNet out of it, you know, or MSDN out of it. I mean, it's the stuff like that that aggravates yeah. me. I even asked them to give us the academic price for TechEd. I mean, that would that would sort of make make sense. I mean, if, so I could just be I could be a, a high schooler and go to TechEd for a fraction of the price, but but I pay in you know tens of thousands of dollars to the Microsoft uh, training systems, and I can't to pay full freight. I mean, if that's the kind of stuff. But and and and, and like you know, pulling tech TechNet away is the same kind of thing to me. It's sort of like, well, you're screwing the people who are out there helping. To, to promote your 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 products, I mean, you know, and evangelize your products for free, and, and you know, and I'm, you're not even allowing me the, the ability to pay for that fact. I mean, it's just it's lunacy to me. Um, I just hope they, you know, again, or I, at the very least, okay, fine, give me a a reasonable, uh, you know, if you make me want to pay a thousand bucks a year for for MSDN and I get some extra perks out of it, fine. But but the, what they're asking for at the end is, is lunacy compared to you know and also and, and also the notice like you know most people hopefully they'll notice they'll 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 they'll, they'll, you know, they'll realize that they have until the end of August to, to renew but uh, it seems like also like you know it's not like let's put it this way it, it, you know Windows Seven it, it, it will be uh, in support for the next what I'll probably be like you know and life support by the time they actually kill Windows Seven right but yet they give you barely a year you know barely a few months notice to make sure that you subscribe to TechNet before they totally kill it forever you know just seems like the the time frame was kind of lousy too in my opinion and, I uh, just, you know, I'm and it's, it's not just you that loses it's uh, MCTs uh, will get it until the end of the year uh, or I think there's a, a point that they can't activate the subscription. Uh, so it's it's bad news for those as well. But yeah, so, uh, the the biggest, uh, the, 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 I think the person who's been uh, most upset by this that I, I've spoken to uh, from the the community is uh, the, is Paul Cunningham, who, if you don't know, runs Exchange Server Pro. And to 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 give you a a very succinct version of what he said, uh, he wouldn't be an MVP if not for TechNet subscriptions. Right. Uh, so he, he obviously never aimed to be an MVP. He just wrote a website, kept on at it, uh, like most of us do, and uh, relied on that to be able to write these articles. And the the joke in in his office was, was always, we don't need uh, to look in the knowledge base. We'll just Google for it, and Paul's answer will come up. And and I have colleagues <laughs> who who laugh about it as well because I told them that I get an email every now and then. Paul's just helped me out with another problem. And the the amount of valuable information that he's given on the back of a subscription that he paid for himself is 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 invaluable to Microsoft because uh, this that those kind of guys that he that he writes and are better uh, than some of the stuff that Microsoft do. And it's not just rewriting TechNet. Uh, it's it, it's putting together a specific right. version that I mean, we've talked about so many times. I mean, relies the, on a TechNet subscription. Microsoft's own guidance, you know, has changed based on input from the community. TechNet articles, you know, explaining their own product better than they can, or or you know, or at least uh, uh, you know, expanding the knowledge, uh, or and fixing quite honestly, fixing bugs. Um, has come from the community. How is the community supposed to do that if what they, they have to hope they work for somebody who buys that product? I mean, it's it's, it's kind of nuts, you know. Um, that was the whole point. And again, if people abused it, then 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 find those people and take away the subscriptions. You know, I mean, it, it, it just makes no sense to shoot everybody in the face just to just to you know to stop a few people that are stupid enough to put their keys online. I mean, if that's what the that in fact is why the, you know, uh, the, the I don't think it is that though because pros are yeah. doing that. It's already tied to the MVP MCP IDs anyway. So you know. yeah. And uh, and would Microsoft even register that kind of piracy when it's so rampant elsewhere? I'm not sure they would. 
You know what would be funny? You go to a client and you tell them that you're going to show them something and then you open up your laptop and try to show them your lab infrastructure and then you realize it expired. Well, <laughs> exactly. That, that's the point. Uh, I mean, but I don't even... Think about what the client will think about you. I mean, that's not going to be easy. It's not just for Microsoft, but I'm thinking myself here and it's going to be really tough. I mean, I can't rebuild my lab every 90 days or 120 days. That's going to consume a lot of time for me, and it's not a billable hour or anything. That means I'm going to spend my whole weekend every couple of months uh, without spending it with my family where I live in Bermuda, and I won't be able to go to the beach and sit here and like <laughs> build a lab. That's bring nonsense. subscriptions. Or else yeah, bring One day might not be able to go to the beach. Yeah, that uh, but, make but sense. in all seriousness, and I want to try yeah. and wrap up this topic now because uh, we went on far too long about it. And of course, if you already know and agree with us or disagree, then uh, we're, we're, we're just reinforcing uh, uh, these beliefs. But there's a petition against this. Who knows whether Microsoft will listen to it? Um, we're not as big uh, an angry mob as uh, the X. Box one uh, anti group that got Microsoft to change their mind on that, but there was a petition. It started by a chap called Co- which, they, which they caved on, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a petition online uh, started by a chap called Cody Skibble, uh on change.org. We're going to put the link up to that on the website, and uh, it's already got uh, well over a thousand. Uh, one thousand seven hundred five. One thousand seven hundred at the time of writing, so probably Ooh. quite a few more by the the time we get this edited. Uh, so, so to sign it, if you if if you don't agree uh, with getting rid of TechNet subscriptions, and maybe Microsoft will change their mind. If they don't change their mind, and you are stuck in a situation where you've got to use trials, then remember, uh, my, Michelle Delroy has a great Exchange 2013 install script. So if you have to rebuild your lap all the time, then you can use his script uh, to, to do so. And I've got an upcoming article on Search Exchange, uh, how to make a, a quick and easy Exchange 2013 lab. I'll no doubt mention that in an upcoming episode. But, uh, but basically, using his script and... If you want my article when it comes out, uh, you can just press a button and it installs Exchange for you. So if you've got to build a really simple, you know, no frills lab environment, you can do so. And Pat's got a script as well, uh, which Justin recommends we put the link up to, too. If anyone's listening who hasn't doesn't know about Pat's uh, script, then shame on you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we'll put the links up for that. Uh, and yes, yeah, so you can you can rebuild uh, Exchange uh, uh, 2013 uh, Link 2013 labs uh, in a fairly straightforward manner. And there's a, a few other uh, scripts. I think Starlay uh, has, has worked on uh, one with uh, Tommy as well. Uh, so there's there's a few out there that you can use to do a, a quick, simple, easy. Uh, reinstall of a lab if you do have to it's not great though if you need to make it look like uh, look a certain shape though uh, moving on though uh, to our next topic uh, Justin uh, I'm going to talk to you about uh, this because you've been to both uh, and not just uh, been as a visitor you've been presenting at both as well and uh, uh, at least via Twitter I've heard some really positive feedback about some of the sessions you've done so congratulations uh, on a good job at both TechEd uh, Tenor North America and TechEd uh, Europe in Madrid Great, yeah, thanks a lot Steve um, It was a great experience uh, at both North America and, and Europe uh, 
as uh, Brad Anderson give his keynote uh, in North America on the first day there, and uh, we sort of tuned in and watched it, watched the live stream from the Link booth uh, as we were preparing. Uh, and some of the announcements coming out of there were quite cool around, um, obviously, like uh, the R2 version of server and uh, some of the system center improvements and things and Windows Azure changes. Uh, but just generally, the entire week was, was really rewarding. It was great to uh, meet customers uh, from like all over North America and and like all the different European countries as well and, and help them out and answer questions they had around, around Link uh, as we sort of manned the booth and... Uh, yeah, some people have some, some really uh, bespoke scenarios they've got themselves into and sort of things that you sort of, you leave the conversation thinking, how the hell did that guy get himself into that situation? And they kind of like, they, they quiz you and be like, well, I've got Link in the cloud and everything else is on-prem and I've got three different AD forests and I've got 50 SIF domains and I'm thinking about how I get all that to work together and even me and some of the Microsoft guys just sit there and go, uh, I'm don't really have an answer for you, I'm sorry. So, yeah, it sort of varied from that down to just people that didn't even know about Link, and we had some uh, four PCs there set up as one of the parts of the booth where we could demo Link, and we were demoing the mobile clients and the Link room systems as well. So, uh, yeah, all in all, like, uh, two really good weeks, um, two busy weeks. Uh, I was on my feet all day and um, was quite exhausted by the end, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely as being a speaker was really good as well. So um, be uh, excited to hopefully get back again next year. So what was the the mix then? So you were man in the booth. Uh, you were uh, doing a few sessions as well. Did you get any chance to go to any of the, the sessions that were of interest to you? Um, not really. Yeah, we sort of uh, we had a lot of booth duty uh, to do between uh, myself and some other MVPs and uh, MCSMs and the. Uh, Microsoft folks from Redmond as well so um, I did manage to squeeze into sort of one or two uh, link sessions and I wanted to get into some of the more obscure kind of ones around like hacking and social engineering and things but I went to went to one of them at one point and uh, I think the lady said the room hold, held 300 people and she had 450 people in there so some of those ones were quite in quite high demand so I uh, missed out on, on seeing some of the really good juicy sessions but um, yeah it was mostly a kind of like lots of lots of booth duty, which was really rewarding, and um, sort of parties afterwards as well, some vendor stuff um, with the likes of Kemp and F5 and people like that. So um, yeah, all in all, it's really good. Yeah, so uh, a few of the the UC Architects crew went. Uh, Michelle de Roy was tweeting continuously uh, while he was there, by the looks of it, and uh, Dave Stork as well. Uh, so you met up with both of those, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I met up with them a couple of times through the week and. Uh, we, I think we all wore our UC Architect shirt on the uh, last night at the attendee party in, at the Superdome, uh, so that was quite cool. I think we got a photo or something there. Top color. We should probably have uh, summer versions of these shirts for when we go to hot places. Because black, <laughs> black yeah. is not the best color for, for for New Orleans in June, right? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. So and Dave and uh, Michelle and I got out on Bourbon Street uh, on the last night and sort of made the most of that as well. So it was good fun. Yeah, and uh, we'll mention uh, uh, Michelle's roundup uh, of uh, of some of the stuff he learnt uh, about upcoming changes in Exchange 2013 uh, a bit later. Uh, the, the 2012 R2 stuff was was uh, mostly the, the bits that interested me and uh, Tom, uh, your colleague and fellow UC architect and Link MVP, that's a bit of a mouthful, uh, has, has written a, a good script to, to download the, a lot of these from uh, Channel 9 uh, of the MSD Insight uh, 
to is it all the sessions in every topic or is it just the the link ones um i'm not sure it looks yeah, like it's a think, lot i think there are all of them yeah which would be a ton of stuff to go through uh yeah so, definitely well so i'm going to be downloading a, a ton of those over the next 24 hours uh, before i start uh, uh, I think I'm at 10 hours of driving over the next few days, as, uh, and I'm going to be listening to all of them, but especially the, the 2012 RT stuff, because there's so, some really good stuff around Hyper-V uh, that's uh, of interest, uh, even if you're a Link uh, or Exchange or, or other guy, and of course all the uh, Azure stuff as well. Uh, yeah. so, so if you didn't have a chance to go, uh, then there's there's no excuse for, for missing some of this. <laughs> I said there's no yeah, excuse, but it's possible um, to download them. Whether you'll have time uh, and that's my biggest problem. Time to actually listen to it all is, is a different matter. Well, there's that. And uh, t- Tom uh, uh, did that script to um, um, download all the content. I don't know if we want to put a link up to that, but uh, yeah, he wrote a PowerShell script to go out and download, download all the content. And, and, you know, I mean, yeah, just uh, definitely check out the sessions. I mean, they're invaluable. I, I've already used one. Um, Brian Nice had done a, a, um, was a, a, the, uh, um, he's an MCSM and, and Link. Um, and actually teaches the instructions, uh, you know, some of the modules now at, at the course. But he's also on the National Voice team and uh, ECOE. Um, he uh, has a really good session on Link Voice and QoS and, and that sort of stuff. So again, and I happen to be doing a you know bandwidth modeling for a, a customer, and uh, you know just happened to look and see if he did a did a, um, a, a presentation on that, you know, because it was kind of update of the he did, what he did one I think at the, the last TechNet TechEd. Um, and uh, sure enough, you did you know, kind of update it for 13, and it was it's brilliant. So definitely, you know, go through the content because there's a lot of good stuff there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the guys that delivered all those sessions are sort of you know the absolute brain trust on these kind of things, and um, it, you know you learn a lot from technet documentation and things. But the, the things that some of these program managers and that mentioned within their presentations is sometimes like quite valuable. So was the, the much incremental uh, new knowledge uh, that built upon uh, what you learned at the, the Link Conference uh, last year? Oh, earlier this year, sorry, it was February, wasn't it? Oh, I didn't get a chance to go to that conference, actually. So, so oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> it would have been crazy. cool if you did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, but I think, like, um, people... Uh, People sort of ask me uh, afterwards, is like, you know, what's the value in TechEd? Like, if I can just download and watch all the recordings afterwards. But I think the, one of the biggest uh, things that's, that makes TechEd valuable is, is getting along and the networking side of things and the social side of things. So you can actually meet these people in person and answer, ask questions and answer questions and, and really sort of, like, build some, some networks and relationships with people. So I think that's that's where there's... Yeah. Well, one of my customers uh, has... One of the things that they were doing while they were at TechEd was looking for the right people to help with their next projects. So that's win-win for both sides, uh, and and it is having the time to to learn in the right environment because I, I couldn't find the time in the day. When am I going to listen to it? I'm, I'm going to have to download the MP3s and listen to one or two on the drive. And to be honest, I can only digest digest maybe one. Uh, to a push on a five-hour drive because I can't listen to 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 technet uh, ticket sessions for five hours straight <laughs> in the car <laughs> <laughs> and then do a whole day's work. Uh, you know, yeah, when, when do you fit it in? Yeah, it's good to get it out, like out of the office and away, you know, for the four days and you know get down in, into the breakout sessions and really be like learn interrupted, uninterrupted. 
yeah, I, I think I'll, I'll be getting something locked in for, for next year, uh, depending on developments at home, but that's a, that's another story, uh, because uh, the, the main reason why I wasn't able to go was due to being booked back-to-back uh, on stuff, and uh, they're the same reason for most of my team as well. Uh, but it's, it, you know, it's, everyone that I've spoke to who's been uh, thought it was definitely valuable. Yeah, actually, I'm kind of pissed that it goes here, considering all yeah, you guys are down there. Would have been good to stay there. Yeah, totally. Well, again, no one's missing. From now on, if anyone misses Mech or Link Conference, shame on, shame on you, because now you guys know what you're missing. <laughs> okay, guys, well, I'm going to have to be straight with you. See, we're trying for a baby. And uh, and if it works now, count the months uh, and what's happening around those times. So if it works straight away, then uh, it, it's around about the, the time of Mech. And if it takes us a little bit longer, then that could be ticket. <laughs> so, so you know what you have to do or don't have to do right <laughs> you see uh, we, we were at uh, we were out uh, and I, I was saying well I can still go you know say if we got got pregnant you know two weeks old what's wrong with me going to Texas and uh, let, I, I won't repeat what my wife said but uh, the, the words divorce were mentioned so but we'll see we'll see <laughs> Uh, it's, it's okay. I can't, you know, I, I win, but I, I, I'm not going to say any more about this, uh, just in case, because my walls are fairly thin in this house. <laughs> uh, moving on. Uh, good news. Good news for a few of us. Uh, not so good news for for, for someone. Uh, and I I, I won't. Uh, I won't call call him out, but I, I was not happy really uh, about one person not uh, getting what I thought they deserved. Uh, but uh, for for a few uh, others in the the UCA team, uh, there's uh, MVP renewals on the first of Ooh. July. So Justin, Hooray. Justin, uh, you got your first renewal, second year as an MVP. Yep. Paul Congrats. Cunningham, Exchange Server Pro. Congrats. Second year as an MVP. Starle, uh, third or fourth? Wow. I'm not sure he's not on the show today. Uh, Sirkan? Second year. Yes, you're here. You're back. Congratulations. Congratulations. Second year. And Johan has just arrived, uh, just in time. And uh, renewed again. Johan, well done. Congratulations. And me too. Yeah, you too. Right? So, congratulations. deserved. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it is, it's one of those things where you don't know whether or not you're going to be renewed. And uh, I think I, I mailed uh, Paul and uh, Michael because uh, I was a bit worried because I thought, oh, yeah. So you, have, so you guys have, like, no idea, right? Just after the question of, like, they, they, do they go out and look at your stuff and see if um, they're worthy of renewed? You get automatically renominated, and you have to go through exactly the same uh, evaluation process as you do the first time around. Oh, uh, okay. So, uh, as far as as far as I'm aware, uh, if you're not, if you, if you don't do what you did for the previous years that it took to uh, to become an MVP, then uh, you you don't get back in the club, uh, so to speak. Well, theoretically. Uh, so you, yeah, so you've got to keep you you just keep doing what you're doing, and uh, I, I was a bit worried because I haven't made any special effort. 
since being an MVP. You know, I, I think, oh, I should do more stuff on the forums and stuff like that. Uh, you know, I, I have colleagues that say, oh, I always find answers to your stuff on the forums. But in reality, I don't I don't spend a lot of time on there. Not uh, the amount of uh, time that the, the likes of, of Ed Crowley, for example, uh, do answering questions where they, they answer a lot, lot more questions than, than I do. Uh, so that's why I wasn't particularly sure myself whether... Uh, I would be renewed, but uh, yeah, I was. I was was quite pleased about that. And uh, you kind of forgot the fact that you started the UC Architects about a year ago after you were uh, nominated or became an MVP, which is quite successful. So, even though not being active in the forums as as you wanted to, you've had a huge impact on the community, um, which I would like to thank you for again because this group is awesome. Um, but you know, all the guys that were renewed, um, every single one of them, uh, all made their efforts in their own way, writing articles, uh, speaking at events, uh, participating in a podcast. And it's, it's awesome to see, uh, all the efforts that are being put into keeping the community alive. And that's actually what's, what it's all about, I guess. Yeah, I think that's too, because the, the, the TechNet forums, it's hard to keep it, to, to keep up because the Microsoft guys, from their special community team are also working hard on it and sometimes you can't even answer because it already has been answered by some people of Microsoft. Really? That's that's, that's quite good. Okay. Uh, I obviously haven't been there for the last month or two uh, when, when I spent time on those forums. Mostly yeah, well, I answer a question, then someone else answers and goes, yeah, Steve's right, and then marks their answer as the answer. And it's like, oh, I can't be asked with yeah. this. Yeah, that's also <laughs> pretty irritating for yeah. people asking questions and marking their own answer as the <laughs> answer. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so... So the, the the one thing about those forums is, uh, and this is going a bit off topic, so I'll keep it brief, is people have been complaining about the new format. Uh, and if someone from Microsoft is listening, uh, to to make people want to spend time answering questions, you need to be able to go on there. So you know, for, for at least me, and I don't know whether anyone agrees, tell me if you do, uh, I want to be able to go on there, I want to see questions uh, that, that are waiting for an answer. Uh, so, you know, unread or unanswered and just go in, bam, give an answer, bam, give an answer, a quick fire answer you know, uh, and uh, share the knowledge. Uh, I don't want to have to mess around uh, with an unintuitive interface. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely congrats to all you guys. Is everyone, everyone here is an MVP, right? No? That's on tonight? Today? Uh, you're not. Well, I've said besides me, <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I don't mean that in any sort of way. Oh, wow. you you, <laughs> you're an MCM, and uh, are you MCSA? Yeah. Uh, MCSM yet? Not as of no, yet. No, not yet. <laughs> in but progress. To, but, oh, I say that's such a shit. <laughs> but uh, you're, uh, you're an MCM, so that, uh, that actually counts for quite a lot more because yeah, of the Yeah, I, the I better get some effort. upgrading going on, or it's not going to count yeah. anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and talking of MCM, uh, are you still waiting to find out, Michael? Yes, yes. Um, we Was that the? That... Uh, I saw you tweeting or Facebooking saying still waiting for some news, and I assumed that was that was what you were waiting yeah. for. It could have been something else. It could have been, you know, a relative pregnant. <laughs> Uh, no, no, not at all, not at all. No. I'm not even trying to get pregnant. So, um, no, I'm, I'm waiting for the results uh, for from uh, for the Qualab. So we we were supposed to get them in the beginning of July, but apparently something uh, came in between. So, um, but I'm I'm waiting anxiously. You know, I'm, I'm like 
I want to see my results. I have no idea when they're coming, so um, I'm living day to day, taking it as it goes. But it's it's getting hard. <laughs> it's definitely uh, it's definitely not like a normal exam, then, is it? Then you don't find out straight away, or even get any impression of how well you've done then. Uh, no, not really. Well, you do for the theoretical, um, for the written exam, but for the qual app, uh, you don't. So uh, you get your point, uh, your yeah, uh, we, grading afterwards. So yeah, we were we were because when I went, it was still in beta, so we didn't know about our written until a, a few weeks after. So at mm -hmm. least you got that. At least you got that right away. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's about three weeks ago. Uh, I took the exam now, two weeks and a half, three weeks ago. So I guess we'll we'll have to wait a few more days, weeks. Um, but this, but regardless of the the, the the outcome, I'll probably tweet or uh, Facebook about it. Or um, if 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 I just drop out, um, then you know that it was wasn't all that good. So. <laughs> well, I, I don't think it's one of those things where you lose any respect for for not passing it first time. I mean, uh, I, I won't be the first to have failed an MCP exams. So uh, if you fail that uh, and have to retake it. Uh, it's not a big thing, is it? I, mean, I don't think so either. You know, it's it's well, you you go in and you try to do the qual app and you try to pass. And once you you've been through the uh, the eight hours of the qual app, you go out and you're like, well, even if I don't pass, I'm like, I'm okay with it. I'll just retake it and give it a second shot and try to pass a second time. I I wouldn't even feel well. I um. If for the case as anyone is listening that is still uh, grading my exam, I want to pass, really. But even if I wouldn't pass because I just didn't do well enough, uh, I wouldn't be ashamed and I wouldn't mind. You know, it, it is what it is, and I I would gladly do it again. Um, but yeah, it's it's as you said. Yeah, I mean, it's said, the same for me. I mean, enough. I you know, I never I never even bothered. Me. I mean, I I still. Kind of sucks. I'd never bother retaking any of my stuff with my link rotation, and I kind of, kind of that kind of, kind of does haunt me. I never tried again, um, but you know it is what it is. I mean, you know, again, on one hand, it's at least I have the luxury since I'm paying for myself. I don't have to worry about you know my boss or my company getting mad at me. It's all it's all my money anyway, so I'm gonna be mad at myself. But uh, I mean, you know, I'm kind of yeah. I mean, obviously you wanna you wanna get through it and pass and have uh, the title and stuff and, and all that. But I mean, the training is still invaluable. That's the one thing that that uh, you know, going on the rotation that you know you always will have is that you you know you'll have the experience and then you'll have the you know the, the training from some of the best guys out there. Um, you know, regardless of what they do to the program, at least that is still the case. I think you know that's what you're uh, paying for. Yeah, in some ways. I mean, is it worth as much? Uh, I don't know. You know, it's that's hard to that's hard to judge. But it's it's certainly worth a lot. Let's put it that way. Um, you're not going to get access to Brian Reed. Or any of these guys for that many days and learn that much stuff, um, you know. It just there's no there's no other way to get that kind of training, you know, as it stands right now. So I, I'd still believe in the in the program along those lines. Some of the other things I'm not thrilled with the way the changes, but you know, we'll see how well, it goes. You know, it it might seem as a cliche, and it's not only going through the training and having access to all these awesome people teaching you awesome stuff, because. Each trainer is uh, is a a a fun, very fundamentally very knowledgeable person about what he's talking. And it's just awesome to hear them talk about their topic. But it's also the interaction with all the other people um, going 
in in that rotation. Um, I actually wrote a, an article or, or a blog post about it. Is that for me, it was the second most thing that I learned the most about. You know, you learn a lot uh, from the trainers, but you learn a whole lot of things as well by talking to the other people, exchanging experiences, and then having to miss out on that would be would be a shame. If you ever get the opportunity to do that, just that is awesome. Yeah, I agree. And then going to Joey's when it's all over and, and not having to worry about tests or studying anymore, that's the best part. <laughs> the oh, last yeah. night after the call lab, it's like, you know what? I don't care about anything anymore. I'm getting drunk. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, yeah, okay, so, yeah, ahead, so that's, that's all the, the MCM stuff. And uh, uh, and uh, finishing off our, our top stories for the day. Uh, so would you believe it? Uh, we're a fair bit into the, the show and uh, we're only just uh, starting our main topics for today and first up uh, for all you exchange lovers out there uh, we're going to be talking about exchange and first up of our topics uh, is exchange 2013 gotchas five of them in fact and this is uh, talking about an article that, that I've written uh, for uh, search exchange on, on a tech target site so uh, so guys uh, feel free to, to join in uh, with with your sort of experiences around this uh, as well so uh, my article is uh, five exchange 2013 migration gotchas to watch for uh, and this is all pre uh, cumulative update 2 stuff so uh, as we'll talk about it shortly a few things uh, uh, which I'll point out will change and the first thing to watch out for is is client support uh, so uh, who's done uh, an exchange 2013 migration project so far uh, I have Ish. <laughs> and, uh, and what, what sort uh, of tools have you used for uh, discovery uh, was it from 2007 or was it 2010 migration well, I was lucky enough. Uh, I cheated. I was lucky enough to do it in our uh, own deployment, so I was well aware of what's running in the company. Um, it's not that big either, so um, it, it, it did, I, I didn't have the need to actually go and figure out which clients were used uh, because I knew they were all uh, 2000, 2010, 2013, maybe one or two 2007s, but they were all patched until the latest version, so I was good to go. Uh, and this is the the key thing. So, uh, if you don't already know, uh, then then Exchange 2013 uh, does remove support for Outlook 2003. Finally, uh, that might not Ooh. be good news for you. To... <laughs> Woo! <laughs> it's only been a year, <laughs> and uh, and that that might not be good news, especially for your applications that rely on it. But it does have uh, some rely, uh, some requirements uh, in terms of Outlook 2007. It can't just be Outlook 2007 out of the box. You've got to make sure that that's patched to Service Pack 3 with the November 2012 updates or higher. Uh, and Outlook 2010 again can't be straight out of the box. You've got to have Service Pack 1 with the November 2012 updates too, and. One thing that, that is lacking that you had when you were doing previous versions of, of Exchange Migrations, if you move them from 2010, you don't have the, uh, an easier job of, of finding out what clients uh, are in use. So you might need, for Exchange 2010, to use a tool like Xmon, because you've got things like the uh, get log on statistics commands in Exchange 2010, but they don't do the job you think that they do. Uh, they don't return things like the, the actual client version. It's something that's broken and, and still broken uh, going forward. Um, but if you're moving from Exchange 2007, then you do have the benefit of the get log on statistics command to tell you who's connected. Uh, so, 
Uh, so what kind of discovery tools do, do other guys use uh, when you're looking to find what's out there in a, a customer's estate? Uh, well, um, it, it depends. Um, <clears throat> I usually first try to get as much information from the customer um, by by taking a look at what they have from uh, reporting. If they're using some software deployment tool uh, like SCCM, um, then they have a pretty good idea of what's running in their environment. Um, uh, so it's it's basically when when we get the answer, we don't know that I I try to refer to using scripts, as you said, you know, get log on statistics, although it's very limited. Try to, to find information elsewhere. Uh, try to do discovery uh, as much as possible, you know, digging through logs and stuff. But it's it's not always easy. Um, and I don't have a particular tool that could do that for me, so if anyone has the magic key, please share it. Uh, well, have you had a, a map, Microsoft Assessment and Planning Toolkit? That's got some tools to yeah. discover versions of Outlook. Uh, that's one worth checking out, and uh, Windows Server update services as well. Uh, you can you you can look at the versions of Outlook and and use it as the tool to to patch things up to the right version as well. Well, yeah, but the problem is then you'd have to use uh, WSS. Uh, not everyone does. Uh, yeah, still not everyone does. Um, Free Microsoft tools then. Yeah, I know. And they're I taking know. away most stuff. And I still use any topology diagram uh, tool, like religiously. And if I go, you know, just as like, I want to see what your environment looks like, boom, and put it in Visio, and I don't have to. That's mm-hmm. one of the first things I run. Well, there there are some scripts that I use, uh, basically to get an overview of what's what's happening. But you know, they usually don't include clients whatsoever. So yeah. uh, W says is is a good good starting point. But the problem that you're having there is that you that reporting isn't always very reliable. Um, it's at least what I found out. So it's something to get to get a rough idea of. But if if you need to dig in deeper, then then um, <clears throat> reverting to alternative methods. Luckily, most of the projects or environments that I come into, they have uh, SCCM running. They have some uh, other software deployment tool running that can tell you with more detail uh, what they're running, how many of them they are running, and stuff. Um, also, what, what I uh, encounter sometimes is that we just say, well, this is a requirement, you know, um, all your clients have to be, uh, let's say, Exchange tw- uh, Outlook 2010, uh, Service Pack, whatever there is, um, and I tell the customer, well, this is your requirement, make it happen, it's not my problem anymore, um, and That's that works well approach. if you've... Well, yeah, it, 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 it's a good it's a good thing if you've got teams who are able to, to say, manage that. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, it, it depends on on what people want guys like us to do, mm-hmm. uh, whether they want us to to have a look uh, around the environment and see whether uh, that whether that needs to be found. Out. I mean, obviously, I've got some customers that can go and find that out for themselves, uh, but but some of them that would rather uh, let someone else have a look for them and then go off and, and make those changes once you've told them uh, that. Uh, you know they've got to upgrade X number of clients. The the other the other areas is is Internet Explorer eight as well. Uh, so, uh, are everyone aware of, of the issues with IE eight and Exchange twenty thirteen and Office three six five? And the in in terms of the the slow access. So if you're using IE eight, then you might need to to look at upgrading that or, or using an alternative browser for for XP clients. And if you've still got clients on earlier versions, then they they definitely need to be upgraded. The issue with IE8 is slow performance, uh, but for previous versions of IE7, uh, it's it's more about uh, only being able to access light mode of OWA. 
And the, the second gotcha to watch for is OWO redirections. So uh, rumoured to be in CU2 uh, are fixes for this. Uh, but if you're implementing Exchange uh, 2013 at the moment uh, with, uh, for example, Exchange 2007 and you've got forms-based authentication, then you'll need to consider uh, that you may have a, a double logon prompt uh, for Exchange OWA. Uh, so if you've got something like TMG or other pre-authentication in front of it, then this won't be a problem for you. But if you're not in that situation, then that's something to be aware of for OWA. Uh, if you're using uh, Kerberos Windows authentication, though, it won't affect you. Uh, another problem is, or not a problem, but uh, another thing to watch out for is Outlook Anywhere. Uh, with uh, Exchange 2013, there's been a move uh, to use uh, RPC over HTTPS, as it once was known, Outlook Anywhere, uh, rather than uh, direct Mappy to the mailbox. And if you're using Outlook Anywhere externally, uh, you need to make sure that it's also enabled on Exchange 2007 and 2010 uh, as part of your migration. This is because Exchange 2013 is going to proxy Outlook Anywhere request to the version of Outlook Anywhere that corresponds to the version of Exchange that the mailbox is on. And you'll need to, to do a few tweaks uh, for that to ensure that at an RIS level, uh, NTLM authentication is enabled for Exchange 20, 2007 and 2010 uh, if you're using, for example, basic authentication externally. And finally, for for that number three point, if your Exchange 2007 uh, servers uh, running CAS and Mailbox and not a global catalog server, then you'll need to disable IP6, uh, IPv6, and uh, that's uh, detailed in, in the link in the, the article. Uh, though probably for number five, four, one of the most contentious aspects of Exchange 2013 uh, has been with its sizing. Uh, so the sizing guidance uh, was released and discussed on the, the podcast uh, back in May, uh, meaning some of Microsoft's uh, and, uh, and customer early deployments uh, didn't benefit from uh, those uh, sizing guidance that was released on the web. Uh, so if you have done this, you need to bear in mind that you might need to uh, buy additional hardware. Uh, Michael, you uh, did deploy Exchange 2013 via TAP. Did you have any bad experiences when it came to the hardware sizing uh, in relation to what Microsoft recommended uh, when it came to compare what you'd actually put in place or, or did you get good guidance uh, throughout that TAP deployment? Yeah, well, uh, basically what we did is for TAP, um, because there was no specific guidance available at that time, that we, uh, I said, well, let's go for what we're using now with Exchange 2010 and see what it does. Uh, which wasn't a very good idea because uh, it was way too slow. So we added resources uh, up until the point that I said, well, okay, I can live with this performance point. And I redid the sizing only recently after the, the official guidance came out and I pretty much nailed it. Um, you know, having more CPUs needed, more memory uh, overall. So the approach I took was more of a trial and error because there was no specific guidance, uh, and I couldn't really figure out what I what I needed. So uh, based on experience, you know, add a little bit of memory, see what it does. Does it perform better? Does it perform worse? Uh, out of that, but yeah, now that the the sizing is available. 
uh, it makes it makes sense. You know, you, you can clearly see why uh, more memory is used, why more CPU is needed, and uh, it it makes more sense. And and okay, I'm 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 okay with it. You know, in our virtualized environment, it does hurt the hypervisors that it's running on because they use a lot of memory. Um, but it is what it is, and uh, yeah, there's nothing much we can do about that, right? Well, yeah, and I don't think that's a massive issue for a hypervisor either, uh, because if you're running a uh, virtualized exchange uh, on a virtual environment, then uh, most uh, most of today's virtual environments have upwards of 192 gig of, of RAM if they've been specified uh, to, to fill the chassis with memory, uh, or at least could be a memory, certainly cheap these days too. Um, but it, well, it is a case of rethinking the way you build and mm-hmm. size exchange. To be, to be quite honest, um, going through the entire sizing documentation stuff, um, um, if you want to virtualize exchange, fine. But fundamentally, if, if you take a look at it, I don't think it was really designed to be running virtualized anyway. Um, you said that you know, well, you've got hypervisors running 192 gigs uh, of memory. Well, there are not that many out there that actually use that amount of memory and uh, not of the customers that I go to usually I see well you know 96 gigs of RAM uh, maybe 128 um, and if you've got one server using about 75% of that memory or any anywhere between 50 and 75% even more um, you notice that you're actually uh, giving up an entire hypervisor just for one virtual machine and then I'm wondering what's the benefit of doing that um, so most of these servers, though, that are running the hypervisor um, should be bought within, theoretically, the last three years and should support that kind of memory configuration anyway. So it's, it, it's a, if you want a virtualized exchange, it's a relatively small cost to, uh, to, to buy some memory from HP or Dell or IBM, if you want, to, to bring sure. it up to the spec. Sure, uh, I do agree that if your hypervisor can can afford, or if you can afford, and your hypervisor can take it, then you should add memory. Uh, that that's a no-brainer. But I'm I'm I'm, t- I'm taking a look at the overall picture. You know, you you can happily um, do that, but. And I'm not want to. I don't want to go into the discussion whether or not you want to fire virtualized or whether or not you want to do uh, JBot uh, because I think you should. Um, but it, it all comes down to whatever fits your your needs. Uh, and, and I'm not a big fan of virtualizing uh, Exchange anyway, and especially taking a look into Exchange 2013. I'm not not a bigger fan. Um, I'd even say I'm less of a fan of virtualizing Exchange 2013. Uh, we should get overall, my mood on, you know. So. He's a, a, a VMware V expert as well, so yeah. uh, as well as an Exchange MVP. So uh, we can let him him argue the case for that rather than well, myself. You know but what? I, Let's take this to to one of the next episodes when every one of us is is on because yeah, I think it's a very interesting discussion that we could make on that one. Yeah. So so that is it. Sizing and performance. Just uh, you need to rethink the way you do things, and yeah, especially if you're virtualizing, it's it's a whole new world of of RAM uh, and CPU requirements that that you need to consider, uh, and and still jet stress. Uh, the guidance isn't yet available for using jet stress, uh, but you still need to to think about doing it. You still need to validate that underlying uh, performance uh, of of the storage subsystem, uh, even uh, in the face of not having the official guidance out there to do it you need to make sure that you're uh, you're proving that your storage can handle it uh, and there's no load gen out yet either uh, so so to watch out for those uh, that, the last one and I'll, I'll keep it brief uh, there's a great article by Brian Day about 
ambiguous namespaces and migrations from Exchange 2010. Uh, has anyone else read that article um, and, and taken it in? Uh, I think it's quite a lengthy one. Yeah, it's, it's a good one. And uh, and uh, that that really applies to people that have got different namespaces internally and uh, and externally uh, versus people who have uh, used namespaces where they've used the the Casare name uh, and the uh, HTTPS namespaces. Uh, so if you're a customer that uh, that set up Exchange where you've had uh, HTTPS mail and or HTTPS mail.contoso.local uh, and then outlook.contoso.local for your Casare, then you're probably all right. But if you've, if you've used, for example, uh, outlook.contoso.local internally, then you might want to read that article uh, and get an understanding for that because it, it could cause you uh, some problems. Moving on to the next topic, uh, Exchange 2013 cumulative update 2 uh, is not yet released, but it's soon to be released uh, at some point within the next quarter. Uh, and uh, Michelle Doroy has uh, rounded up some of those uh, new requirements over on his blog. Uh, Michael, you've uh, been having a look at some of those, and I think... Uh, you're well aware of some of the improvements, especially around uh, the uh, silent uh, redirection as well that we've talked about. Yeah, yeah. So basically, um, apparently, what what was going to come into CU2 is the SSO redirect that we talked about. So, which is good. Um, I was actually missing it. Um, I, I never quite understood why they didn't have it in RTM, but all things being what it is. Um, I see some some good improvements. You know, as some of the things are in the product, other things are mostly related to to support. So they're talking about um, allowing to have your uh, file share witness in, in Azure, um, which is good. Which is good. It's something that we've been talking about since Mac. I know that during one of the HH uh, HA sessions, um, the very first question that came up from uh, someone in the audience that was like, "Well, hey, can we host a?" A, a file share witness in Azure uh, to simulate the third data center. Um, if if we if we don't have an on-prem data center or a third data center ourselves, and at that time it wasn't possible. So it's great to see that they're adding that. Um, I see there is some some information about possibly adding support for uh, ARR or the R feature in the IIS, which is actually the application request routing. Um, it's a reverse proxy functionality in um, in IIS, uh, which could be a replacement or a somewhat a replacement for TMG. Um, there has been a blog post, I guess, for uh, R support for Link, uh, and that was one. Actually, that was the article that drove the question whether or not we could use it for Exchange 2013. So it's it's good that the product team is actually looking into that. The one that I find very interesting is the. DAG management service. Um, it's apparently a service they add, they are going to add into CU2, um, which will take over some of the functionalities that the Exchange Replication Service does uh, with regards to DAG monitoring. So I'm not sure why they've done that, or uh, if it's it's because they're going to make any more changes in the future. But it's 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 something interesting to keep uh, to keep in mind. And uh, last but not least, um, uh, there is the restoration of the 100 database limit. Uh, apparently, it was something that was asked for. <laughs> yeah, that was Finally. asked for by a lot of a lot of customers. So 
Um, Not it, a lot, actually, but you know, certainly some. <laughs> well, at least some. But you know, when when going through this list, um, there's one thing that comes to mind immediately is that the exchange team listens to what we're telling them. You know, there was a lot of people complaining about the 100 dB limit, and look what they did. They evaluated it and said, okay, well, here you got it again. Um, there were a lot of people talking about Azure, um, and um, what what did they do? They are evaluating it, possibly adding it to the to the uh, the the product. So um, this is this is what what you know what what I what I like the most. It's that actually your feedback is taking into account and something is done with it. So yeah, that's cool. Sure. Uh, another uh, one of the news uh, has been from Paul Cunningham. And uh, I think you went as far as reproducing the, the problem that he's seen, Michael, uh, with this uh, inboundproxy.com address. And this is, uh, in my opinion, a bit of an embarrassing uh, one for the exchange product group uh, that could have been avoided with a little bit of planning. Uh, so Exchange 2013 uh, uses internally uh, inboundproxy.com as an address that it sends uh, messages as uh, or, or two and uh, and the bounces uh, if uh, I think is it the, the health monitoring mailbox is down uh, the bounces can end up going externally out of the exchange server and bouncing somewhere on the internet or or theoretically could bounce on the internet mm-hmm. yeah so it's exactly as you said it's the health management service that does it, the probes um, and one of the probes is sending an email, and that email is sent from a address at inboundproxy.com. So as long as your health mailboxes are available and they can receive those messages, nothing nothing happens. But if for some reason, and they shouldn't, but if that happens, they become corrupt, you deleted them, you move them to another database, the database is offline at that point in time. Whatever reason there is for those mailboxes to be unavailable, um, the uh, health messages, so the health probe messages, will queue up uh, on your server. The reason they're queuing up is because they cannot resolve an MX record for the inboundproxy.com email domain, which is fine. But there's the but. Um, InboundProxy.com has been registered by a non-Microsoft person. Um, luckily, that person didn't set up a MX record for his domain because else he would get flooded by all these inbound proxy uh, messages or by all these health me- messages that couldn't be delivered. So basically, what I did to reproduce the issue is I took my health mailboxes offline to make sure they couldn't get the messages. I um, created a separate organization. I added the inboundproxy.com as an accepted domain and kept you know mail routing internally so that it had, hadn't that didn't have to go over the internet and I was pretty uh, stunned to see that messages actually got delivered so the NDRs were actually sent out to the inboundproxy.com email domain and um, well they, they didn't contain you know financial information what it's just an NDR telling you hey I tried delivering a message and the message I couldn't get it to my endpoint yada yada and and so some some headers in it so um, while it's not a a life-threatening issue um, I do see some some security concerns in the long run um, you know some internal headers being exposed poss- possibly being exposed because if you're writing through a, a uh, edge server or uh, even another anti-spam appliance that strips of uh, all the headers there's Possibly not even an issue, but you know it's 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 a, a something that should be addressed and that can be addressed fairly easily. Um, that's from what I understood. So I'm I'm yeah I'm wondering if if that'll be solved anytime soon. It shouldn't happen though. You know your health mailboxes should be available. 
No, it's 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 quite bad. And well, they shouldn't have coded or hard coded a domain that they didn't even own into the product. Well, yeah, I, I don't quite understand why they they took this domain. Um, although the inbound proxy does explain what they were thinking of uh, at that point in time. Um, so I'm, I'm, yeah, I, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, you know, using this. Uh, they, they, they could have easily coded into the product that they should take the the local domain name or something. So, yeah. it's 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 a bit weird. Uh, next up, uh, LogParser Studio 2.2 is now available. So if you yeah. used LogParser uh, Studio in the past, it's a GUI interface uh, to managing LogParser, which is a a command line tool with SQL-like syntax for analyzing log files, uh, like your IIS log files. Uh, John, you've yeah. had a, a quick look at the, the new version, haven't you? Yeah, actually, um, um, you know, I I, 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 I didn't have much of a depth with log parser until not that long ago. I actually had to go into a bunch of um, uh, 2007 and 2003 servers and identify for a migration the uh, like. Um, you know, uh, popular relay hosts and get a list of all these servers. So I'm like, well, there's you know, a few ways to do it. But uh, so I, I, I got pretty decent with log parser, and, I, and uh, definitely uh, Paul Cunningham. And if you want to know more, some more stuff, and get some really good examples of some way more advanced stuff than I can do. Uh, Paul's on his site's got some really good examples of doing some, some more in-depth stuff. So um, you know, log parser at its basic level is just a you know a way to uh, parse logs, like you're saying, through a SQL kind of syntax, and it's pretty extensible. Um, but you know, you really kind of have to know that SQL thing. So what what Parser Studio does is kind of puts a nice wrap around it um, and adds a bunch of canned reports. So the new release um, added some you know new functionality with import, import importing and exporting stuff in and out. Uh, added a bunch of more um, canned queries, and I think there's like 170 or so canned queries um, that you can use. And uh, there's some really useful stuff in there, everything from you know, specific exchange stuff uh, to even just um, you know, uh, pointing it at your uh, security logs and having it look at for net logon errors for people that are for account lockouts. Um, I was actually using that in a, in a migration uh, with the QMM where the service account just kept on locking out, and we couldn't figure out where it was getting locked out from. But finally, we were using log parser and just bang on the log until we found, oh yeah, somebody was running the workstation, um, you know, updating utility with with this account. You know, so it was with a service account for the mailbox syncs, which probably not a good idea. So that, so that got locked out, and so the mailbox sync stopped. Um, so, you know, long parts can be really invaluable for that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, definitely take a look. Um, there's a lot of really good canned reports um, that you, you, know, you point at the at the target files, whatever they might be, message tracking, whatever, um, IS, and um, and let it rip. Uh, and that's the, the key idea with it, isn't it? So you don't have to be an expert in it. You don't have to run any queries. Uh, you just pick the report you want to do, pick the file, press go, bam, uh, and it right. gets you off. And, uh, and, of course, like, like any tool like that, you can use it as a learning tool. So, you can, so once you see it working through the GUI, you can try Right, that's kind of how I did it, too. Um, and I actually, you know, it was funny because I was going through the tracking logs, and the same syntax I was using for 2007 uh, tracking log didn't work on 2003. I was trying to figure out what the difference was, and... It turns out they just they, they named the client in, client out. Some of the parameters were from were named differently from 2003. I kind of forgot. I mean, it's the last time I got through a tracking log in 2003. It's been a while. So I kind of was looking like, oh, yeah, they changed the things. And just by, you know, knowing how flow parser works, it was pretty obvious to see, oh, well, they just changed the, the, the fields. You know, I'm not looking at the right same fields between the two different tracking log formats. So definitely um, it helps, yeah, see it and work in an action. And, again, Paul's site was really invaluable to helping learn kind of how some of these pieces work. Because that was pretty dumb on on the tool up until that point. And we'll put the the links up to the blog that, that references that. And of course, uh, if you just search for log parser, no doubt you'll 
uh, Paul Cunningham's site will be the first link that comes up. But yeah, just, just check out his site as well. So uh, if we if we do have time, we'll, we'll pop some links up to some some interesting articles, especially if you, you've got one or two of those bookmarked. Uh, uh, another new announcement from TechEd, which we're, we're giving a, a mention of its own for, uh, is uh, features in Windows 8.1 Blue uh, to help with bring your own device. Uh, so if you've got any customers uh, or, or you're thinking of allowing your end users to bring in their Windows RT devices, is, is this the, the market that it's aimed at or, or just laptops in general uh, into the organization? Then this is for you. Anyone got any customers like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's it's going to be it's important, uh, especially with the mail app. You know, um, some of the you know, if you use the Windows Windows Eight mail app, those because it's EAS based, um, some of the policies uh, that will apply to the mailbox to to, to your to your, your EAS policy will apply to your Windows Eight desktop. You know, so I have machines that as soon as you plug in um, that mail account to uh, Windows Mail, uh, and they require a pin lock on the phone. That same thing will happen to it'll force you know to uh, you know to uh, to lock the workstation, for example, um, which is kind of annoying <laughs> in some ways. But you know, uh, along those same lines, it's a way to you know you know silo these apps and have you know the ability to to clean out data for a specific app instead of you know oh we reported your 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 Windows 8 tablet stolen, so we're just going to go ahead and wipe the whole thing <laughs> instead of just wipe wiping the apps that. Um, you know, have corporate data, for example. Uh, and this is the idea. So selective wipe uh, is for bring your own device where uh, for, for Windows-based devices, people can bring their own device and it'll only wipe the, the bits that relate to, to corporate data. Uh, and there's a, a good set of slides uh, on Channel 9, which we'll, we'll link to. Uh, slides 36 and 37 in particular, uh, which which talk about how that works on the, the back end uh, and how it... Uh, 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 and how uh, the the product uh, encrypts certain uh, aspects of the device uh, and leaves others untouched, and then allows uh, when you do a, a wipe via Exchange Active Sync or, or other uh, Microsoft applications, uh, it can just wipe the bit of the device that, that relates to the corporate data uh, and keep the the rest of it as that the user wants. So for wiping all the corporate data off the device once they leave. Uh, but I, I don't see a massive uptake just yet uh, of Windows devices that have been brought into the into the enterprise. But uh, perhaps uh, as uh, ta- Windows tablets come of age, we'll, we'll start to see a bit of an influx of those. Maybe, maybe not. And our last exchange-related topic of the day, and we'll just give it a brief mention, uh, there's uh, out now a new Outlook connectivity to Office 365 Troubleshooter. Uh, and that, that's out now and uh, available uh, to, to to download and use as you want. Uh, it's been uh, talked about on the Exchange team blog, uh, and it is primarily uh, the, the kind of troubleshooter that allows you to to have a look for any sort of issue with Outlook performance, connectivity, profile corruption, or other uh, Outlook diseases uh, that that uh, are infesting your organisation. We'll pop the link up to that. Uh, and you can download it as and when you please. And now, uh, Justin's got a few topics ahead of him as we move into the link section of the show. Uh, an hour in uh, for all you link heads that have been listening so far. <laughs> Just for this bit. Fast forwarding. Yeah, yeah. So if I've been talking like a chipmunk, uh, that uh, I apologise. <laughs> so, Justin, welcome back. Are you still awake? Yeah, yeah, hanging in there, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> just about. Yeah. Uh, are you exchanged out for the evening? Yeah, I think I've uh, learnt everything I need to know about exchange. Like, got my exchange, <laughs> got my exchange, uh, my fix for the month now from you guys. Good, good. That's what I like to hear. Uh, so the the first one up is the the hosting pack, uh, which is is fairly new out. I think it's been out uh, uh, just under a month. It was announced, so uh, not not many uh, people have had a chance to do any real hands-on work with this. Uh, have you had a, a chance to have a, a look at uh, what's in store yet? Yeah, I've I've had an opportunity to go through the deployment guide and get an understanding of, of what's evolved and what's new and what's changed and. Uh, there are some some big uh, topology changes uh, where in the 2010 hosting pack you needed to have front-end servers pretty much um, directly facing on the internet and the, the architecture didn't follow uh, the on-premises product. You know, pretty, it was a fairly different sort of way you set it up, but in 2013 hosting pack that's now kind of come into line with the way you would set up an on-prem deployment of Link 2013 with edge, edge servers in the, the DMZ providing services to your users. So is this, is this going to make things easier for hosters that are looking to implement Link? I think so, yeah. It's going to look a lot more like uh, somebody would deploy Link on-prem like in, a, in any sort of organisation. Um, the big thing to understand is that when you deploy a hosting pack, you don't really have internal users. All your users are considered external and effectively... Yeah, you carve up that that uh, hosting pack deployment into tenants, and everybody comes in over the edge from you know if you're providing that uh, from the data centers over the internet, then you know they would they would use Link in that way. So, do you see a, a big market for hosters uh, deploying Link? Because uh, what one yeah. thing we, we've not mentioned uh, is uh, cloud concerns over US <laughs> interference, which hey, let's. We can leave that for another time. Uh, I'm sure there's more to come out of that, but uh, but obviously voice traffic is, is is key to a lot of organisations that, that want to move to the cloud. So link hosted sounds a, an attractive offering. Yeah, we're definitely seeing more like hosting providers offering up link. Um, there's a couple in the UK that that do that, and they're sort of you know they're the Office 365 alternative, really local alternative. And using the hosting pack, you can offer some some more features than, than what is available in 365. You know, you can do um, most of the voice features you want using the hosting pack. So that gives some of the providers uh, a bit of an edge there. And one thing we've got to, to complement this is uh, there's a feature comparison chart that you can download. Uh, we'll, we'll pop the link up to that uh, along with the show. Uh, and that shows basically what you can have link on-prem, what you can have in hosted uh, or what a hoster can offer you, uh, and, well, yeah. and the feature set that you get uh, with uh, with Link Online uh, in Office 365. Yeah, and that's uh, a, good, a good point around that too around for hosters because one of the issues right now uh, for a hoster is that um, if a company has on you know, Link 2013 on prem today, <clears throat> and they want to say, okay, well, we want to either either you know, do a hybrid solution where um, you host some of our stuff for during a migration, you know, we split the environment that's only available to 365 right now to split. The namespace between you know the on-prem uh, uh, link organization and and, uh, and and some cloud partner. So there's lots of hosters right now that are trying to figure out you know and there's a discussion with Microsoft um, to see when that might be available for other people, if at all. Uh, uh, it's sort of uh, that's one of the biggest obstacles I think 
uh, for if you're a hoster that you can't, you know, it's either you have to, it's either all or nothing, right? You have to basically either host everything on your environment. You can't have any hybrid scenario right now if you want to share namespace. Um, so, so it's sort of a hybrid it's sort of a perk for 365 right now. <laughs> so it's hybrid, just just the, the same with hosters uh, doing Exchange. So they they can't build out that hybrid environment either, uh, and uh, and they have to come up with their own way around it. Well, yeah, um, uh, relay connectors are the, usually the way around. <laughs> But there's no there's no equivalent link unless you do like a static route, which is completely unsupported. Um, so it's a challenge. Uh, we're facing that too. The organization I'm working for, um, you know, they're kind of want to push their cloud offering um, to the client, who's a massive on-prem you know link deployment, and uh, that's the biggest roadblock. It's what like, well, what are we supposed to do? Change our namespace? You know. Um, so until you know, there's you know. Um, relinquish with that. And the other, the other thing that, that's surprising too, especially for really large organizations, is um, with hosting is it's not even the the technical piece with link that's that's an issue a lot of times. It's tariffing, like you're speaking to, um, with voice, but even the legality of and tax. Um, you know, there's when you're a hoster, like depending on the environment you're in, like really, you know, national laws a lot of this. Um, you become sort of the owner of the hardware, and then you get you, have, you know you get taxed on that. So there's a lot of there's a lot of issues around that. I'm seeing. Too, which is making hosting things with voice especially very very difficult um, because you know there's you know a question about ownership of the hardware and um, it was, depending on who owns it you know that someone's liable for the tax bill on that you know um, and that makes it really attractive for a hoster to, to want to bother <laughs> sometimes from what I've seen so yeah so one of the, the links to, to all those out uh, the announcements features charts uh, and all the other bits of pieces uh, up on the, the UCA site uh, Justin, you're also going to talk to us uh, about uh, changes to the link server support options uh, that are available. Yeah, Microsoft blogged about this on the Next Hop uh, blog just uh, last week, and what this is now is that uh, up until to, up until this week, essentially, if you wanted link support um, for the product, you needed to go through a partner that offered uh, premier support. Uh, for link partners and so this meant that you know if you had in your EA and you had a premier support um, uh, access through that if you had link problems you couldn't just escalate those straight to Microsoft yourself as an organization you needed to find a partner for that and uh, you need to purchase that support in advance uh, and that was sold on a per seat basis uh, Microsoft have now come out and changed the uh, options that are available for, for link support where they'll now provide direct link support through uh, Premier support directly and the way to think about this is is that um, the Premier support for link partners program still has some value to it because uh, that support offered by a partner um, is the kind of support that could support your, in- your end-to-end deployment so not just link but also the gateways you have deployed for voice and um, maybe load balances and uh, reverse proxies and things like that. That's where a partner under PSLP would um, would provide value for that. But if it's just a link problem, you can now call up Microsoft um, and they'll support you on that. You don't necessarily have to go through PSLP anymore. And uh, one of my colleagues uh, and, a, and a fellow MVP, Randy Wintel uh, from Modality, has written up a good blog post on this that sort of demystifies it a bit and explains it. And, uh, a, bit, a bit of a clearer, clearer way than, than what Microsoft uh, originally had. Cool. We'll have to put a link to that as well. Uh, so, as a, a link partner, you think that uh, there's still value in going through a link partner to, for support with Microsoft? 
Yeah, there is because it's it means that that partner has an, an ongoing awareness of what your environment looks like. Whereas if you just call up Microsoft and say, "Oh, I've got this problem in Link," you know, Microsoft have to get up to speed with everything that you've got. Whereas you know, if you call up a, a partner and they've they've been in, in your environment uh, historically, they'll say, "Oh, you know, this might be the gateway that was upgraded, or you just applied a patch or something," and they have that awareness um, that can be quite beneficial in a troubleshooting scenario. Uh, and even in a normal environment, when you work with a, a partner as a customer, uh, then before phoning Microsoft, you might sound off the problem with that partner anyway. So it's not a, a big change for those kind of organisations anyway. Yeah, I mean, PSLP is beneficial because uh, the partner is expected to try and resolve the problem before uh, escalating to Microsoft. And so once it... If the problem does get to Microsoft, it's at a third-line escalation engineer level already, and it's generally something that the partner hasn't encountered before and you know doesn't, isn't able to resolve themselves. Uh, so it is a sort of a vetted thing that uh, PSLP provides. And we've we've got uh, another uh, another one to mention, uh, and that's uh, Metro or Modern UI uh, Link 2013 app updates uh, that have came out. Uh, 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 have you had some hands-on with that, Justin? Yeah, I've been playing around with this uh, a bit already, and it's good to see the Windows 8 app getting some attention and, and some features being added into that, uh, because I think it's really good for... Especially Do you use that on the desktop or, or just on a tablet? Uh, well, I've got on my Surface Pro, I use both. So I have sort of both signed in at once and pick and choose... Um, based on which one I answer first, uh, depending on which client I use. But, uh, I mean, some of the new features that are in this update of Windows 8 app is the ability to log in anonymously. So if you're joining a, a link meeting and you, you don't actually have a login for uh, that organisation, you can use the Windows 8 client now to uh, anonymously join the meeting. Uh, and there's also some support around... Uh, additional support around uh, PowerPoint control as well and some generally sort of uh, performance and, and stability fixes in it. So it's, um, it's good to see that there's continuing kind of engineering uh, and innovation going on. Yeah. Uh, so, so that, of course, if you're already using it, then that'll be in the Windows 8 App Store. Uh, and, of course, coming with Windows Blue, you'll get automatic updates for that. So, of course, by the time uh, apps like this come out, you'll already be, be using it. Uh, so, yeah, so the, the Metro apps. And, uh, uh, and then on the Link server uh, side, there's uh, Cumulative Update 2 uh, is, is out in the wild, too. Uh, you Link guys get your updates uh, certainly earlier than uh, Exchange guys do. Uh, and there's a bunch of note in this. Uh, yeah, and ours link? don't take seven hours to, to, to deploy either. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the link ones. I was putting my head my link hat on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see you in exchange. I see you in exchange. Seems to take, seem to take seven months to, to install. Where I see you link, you know, go through very fast and you get reporting. You know, it's for us Brits, so we can go away and get a, a cup of tea, two cups of tea, <laughs> get in the pub, uh, come back, find it failed, the exchange server's screwed. <laughs> um, I think I think I would I think I would install a link to you uh, uh, drunk, but not a link change to you drunk. <laughs> I am more confident. Uh, and for the record, I never do that. Um, of course not, not. Not even in the lab. <laughs> I've got better things to do once I'm there. Uh, so, but yeah, getting back to the link. So, it, uh, is this a is this one to install 
ASAP? Has it got uh, any new features in? Uh, what's new? Yeah, I would say um, definitely get this scheduled in soon if you've got Link 2013 deployed. Uh, there is a new feature that uh, this cumulative update does provide on the server side, and that's uh, Q&A, which was a live meeting feature back in the day uh, that Microsoft have put back into the into Link now. So if you're in a Link meeting, uh, you have the ability to uh, ask questions and, and answer questions. Uh, so you as a presenter can answer the questions and, and people as attendees could could ask questions. And uh, it's it's available in Link Web App today, but uh, this cumulative update hasn't been released for the client side yet. So um, only Link Web App uh, supports that today. And there's also... The sort of requisite um, fixes within CU2 as well, like uh, uh, bugs that have been reported uh, in the last sort of while have been fixed in CU2 as well. Uh, and I guess the uh, Q&A feature, that's going to be one that uh, is also coming to uh, Link Online then as well if you're on the, on the Wave 15 version uh, and or get exposed in the client too uh, once those updates are available. So, it's, it's, uh, so in terms of new features... Uh, You'll get them in the cloud uh, automatically, I guess. Yep, yep. And as always, uh, with CU2s, make sure you do the database backend piece if you're running enterprise correctly, because there is a scheme up, you know, there's a SQL update just part of this. Yeah, and, and touching on that as well, um, this cumulative update is the first one to, uh, you don't, don't have to do a break your database mirror anymore. So uh, in CU1, you had to actually break the database mirroring for the application databases, so call park and response group services, and then uh, reset up the mirroring after the database update had been applied, um, but that's no longer necessary in the CU. So things are a bit easier then for deployment? Yeah, that's it. You, you know, install the, um, the components and then uh, do a reboot of your link server and uh, apply the database update, and it's a, a much more seamless process. Yeah, I have, I have an issue, I think I put it on Twitter, and it went away, and now when I did CU2 when it came back, so I think it's it's definitely something in my, my with my database. So my issue is I can't set uh, I can't set call forwarding anymore, um, or or simul ring uh, from the clients anymore. And mobile mobile doesn't matter what client like you set it immediately sets it back as if somebody was like messing with you, you know, on another client. Uh, is that your lab environment? It, yeah, it's my well, it's my home link yeah link environment, um, and. Uh, but it went up, you know, it was it was fine. I deployed CU2 and it came back. And then I uh, I reapplied the scheme updates and for the database, um, and it worked again. And then I restarted the services and it stopped again. So I'm trying to figure out what the issue is. But uh, as far as I can tell, no one's ever seen this before, so it's unique to me. All right. <laughs> you'll have to you'll have to tweet more about it then uh, when you get an answer. Uh, of course, you'll you know in the future once your TechNet subscription runs out, you'll never be able to try and troubleshoot issues like this. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> then it will be solved automatically because you can't test it anymore. But moving on, so uh, see, so yes, the the CU2 updates uh, are out, and Starly's got a one-stop shop for link updates. Uh, if you hit up dl.msunified.net, link will, of course, be on the, the website for that too. Uh, and you'll always find the most uh, up-to-date list of uh, updates for, for link over on his site. And it's the the, the last few topics for today. Uh, and one, uh, Joanne, uh, SNOM partners with HP. Uh, what's that about? Yeah. When you hear the title, you may think, hey, 
it could be very interesting. But um, when you read the article, it's shows that SNOM has uh, entered an agreement with uh, HP to market uh, the HP Link optimized phones, so that are the 4110 and 4120 IP phones from HP. You can now um, uh, also buy them via SNOM or via the distributors. And yeah, I would expect more because I would expect that they will be uh, yeah maybe partnering in develop their software, improve their software. But yeah, as far as the article now tells, it doesn't look like like that. But maybe in the future. Um, so it I think it's just a matter of time before we. Uh, Discover the uh, the really benefits of it, but I don't see the benefits from a purchasing angle. I suppose if you are a big HP shop, it could yeah. be useful. Yeah, 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 maybe, but yeah, I don't know what what you guys think of the the optimized phones, but yeah, I tested a few of them and yeah, yeah, well. I like the, HP device. Um, yeah, and, um, the, 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 and the last one I tested was the Polycom VX550, yeah. and that one is really cool. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, and I mean, I'm just uh, testing out one of the audio codes. I forgot the 420 HD, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, on one hand, I think it's, you know, it's, it's cool to see this ecosystem of devices get expanded. Um, on the other hand, you know, it is even as clunky as setting up Windows Phone Edition or Link Phone Edition can be, uh, some of these proprietary boxes, uh, you know, I mean, are, are way. I mean, the, the manual for the audio codes to set it up is like seven thousand pages. <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, not all of it's Link specific, but it's really way more. You know, it's got its own web server. You got to go in there and configure it and get it on the network and all that stuff. Like your yeah. router and stuff, and it's kind of a pain, you know. But uh, um, but yeah, it's cool to see these other devices. I was kind of anxious to actually. See how it worked, and you know, see these other ones. I would work with the VX um, as well uh, a while back. Um, seemed like good, good devices. And, you know, again, like I said, it's nice. And it's, it's, I think it's cool of HP um, to you know also have that. You know, they've got you know the SBAs now and the pro the broker switches. They got um, devices now, endpoints. You know, so they, they you know they kind of have a one. You know, they they, they can deliver all the pieces um, for you know if, if, with with the hardware. You know, for a link deployment. So it's kind of yeah, well, that, I tell you where that could be interesting because <clears throat> if you look at what Cisco can deliver uh, as a a big, <clears throat> tall stack uh, in terms of server hardware uh, and and their their whole, especially if you add in EMC storage, uh, it really competes against that because you can buy a Cisco uh, voice uh, networking uh, and uh, and server hardware, buy some storage uh, through VCE as well. Uh, and of course, with HP now, you've got the whole stack from them as well if you want it, I suppose. Yeah, but well, f- from our experience, we're busy with a pretty large uh, project uh, of a Link Enterprise Voice together with HP and their uh, SBAs, and well, needs needs a bit more time. It, it needs improvement. Let's let's keep it that way. Especially Link <laughs> Link 2013 support is well, it, it's there, but. The don't ask how and that kind of stuff. When you compare it to to the other vendors, which are are uh, longer in the field and are longer in the link world, 
they they got a lot to improve. But that that's my opinion. Yeah, I see a lot of people going with SBSs uh, even more than SBAs now, just because of the you know they can throw a one use box out there. They can do uh, the job as an SBS for a lot cheaper in some ways than a um, if they've got the infrastructure. You know, I do like the concept of HP. With the with the, with the switches because you know then even in a small branch you're gonna probably have somewhere to plug a, a switch in right so even if you don't have a server rack you know so it's kind of a nice concept. Yeah, that, that, that's that's true because when you see the hardware it looks looks nice and they thought about it but especially the software and manuals and that kind of stuff it's yeah it really needs more attention now. But yeah. Well, I think it's just a matter of waiting and before they improve because it's a large company. So I think it will be better, but we'll have to wait for for some time. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. Like uh, we we tend to stick to the sort of tried and tested vendors in this space that have had uh, you know a good number of years back to the sort of OCS days. Yeah, I guess I had a uh, I haven't touched an audio codes gateway in a while uh, until last week and. <laughs> I see nothing's changed in terms of how convoluted uh, the going through the web, you know, the web config could be. It's a like, good lord. Could there be more options, please? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the web config is also from the optimized phones. It's also a little bit cool because you can somehow manage those phones on specific things more than the other phones. And for example, the the forward button on the snoms and. I think the well, the Polycom, yeah, the the Polycom has some sort of forward button. Sometimes customers really ask, "I will need a forward button which I can use yeah. easily." And the the link devices, which are launched by Microsoft and their partners, yeah, they're they're missing the button. So what would be a great improvement if the devices which introduce Microsoft. Uh, which run the Microsoft uh, LPE uh, client, if they can build it in that you can program a button which can which you can, can for example let forward a call to to someone easily Be- because that that's one thing which is a question we uh, I think we almost get every implementation of link <laughs> why do why don't doesn't Microsoft has? These options in their hardware or in the L- or in the LPE uh, client. So, so if they're listening, they really need to get in touch with you, and you can give some quite uh, vocal feedback to to yeah. this in terms of <laughs> but, but, but to, I, take but the I, filter I, off as well. Uh, because yeah, but, 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 yeah, but I think I'm not the only one. I, I, no, I think no. The the other link guys, such as John and, and Justin, also hear it in the field. But, yeah. Mm. Uh, we'll move on anyway because. Uh, I, th- I think uh, a few of us have said uh, uh, John didn't really want to go too deep into to HP uh, in particular. Uh, so, uh, and uh, I, I work for a HP reseller as well, so I don't want to slag him off too. They're the big guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, in HP's favour, though, I mean, that, that kind of relationship is good because I see customers who buy a lot of HP kit and they really do benefit from being able to, to if they have a, an issue with one aspect. Uh, of, of the product, even if it's something that they haven't had to spend a lot of money on, then they've got that relationship where 
because they spend so much in, in general, they they have a lot of weight on a, a smaller subset of the products. So if they wanted to, to contribute towards uh, having their voice heard for product development, they're not just uh, a customer that's doing a proof of concept. They're a big HP customer that buys all sorts of storage and servers. So it, it, that, that's where I think it could have some, some good angles anyway. Uh, our last uh, our last link topic for the day uh, is uh, a is a release of a sample link server archiving report and, and John you had a, a quick look at that uh, and this one we're going to go too much into detail on though uh, yeah there's not much um, not much really there I mean it's actually a pretty handy little um, uh, for people who have the background on it you know if you have link archiving there's really no um, you know built in uh, way to to mine that data. And get the conversations out, you know. So if, if HR or security, somebody wants to, you know, say, hey, on such a date, you know, two people had an IM. What do they say to each other? It's not particularly easy to do that. Um, and there's been, you know, there's, over time people have written some scripts and there's some XML kind of things and uh, SQL queries and some ways to do it. But um, this is kind of an expansion on something they released a long time ago for OCS, um, and uh, it really is pretty pretty handy. I mean, for what it does. Um, it's basically just a simple add-on to the report server. You go in, you configure it, you point it, point it to the SQL repository for uh, the, you know, the archiving data, and uh, it gives you a, a, a reporting you know, page interface, very similar to the you know, link monitoring reports, um, to go in and mine conversations and, uh, and you know, getting some simple export of it. Um, so definitely check, take a look if you're running archiving. It's better than nothing for sure. Um, you know, there's obviously third-party um, products that, that, that that's their job, you know, but uh, obviously those cost money. Um, so for free, it's pretty handy. I will say, though, in testing, I mean, anyone obviously, you know, and before Exchange 2013 and SharePoint Exchange 2013, um, the ability to archive an exchange, I mean, that, that, that kind of takes this whole thing to another level. Um, what I did notice in testing, and I actually have a quick uh, question on the Doug Dieter's blog page where they announced the article, and I just happened to notice that um, it looks like if you're archiving to exchange in late 2013, um, this doesn't work. Like the, it doesn't expose the archive data anymore. Because now, I, since I enabled the the Exchange archive uh, in my link environment, um, I don't see any more conversations past that date. So I'll, I'll, we'll follow up and maybe put it on the website if I get any answer back. Unless any of you guys have any clue of what I'm talking about. <laughs> but uh, it's what it looks like to me. You know, so it's, it's, it seems to be very you know, you know link link archiving specific. If you're archiving to Exchange, then I think you're going to have to get that data through the SharePoint portal. Or some other means, you know, into the mailbox. So it's interesting. Check it out. Worth checking out, then. Yeah. So okay, yeah, the, the link to that uh, is going to be up on the, the website with the other uh, last uh, couple of topics for today is events uh, and uh, Exchange Connections uh, is in Vegas uh, at the beginning of October uh, from September the thirtieth. Uh, that's uh, put on by Penton Media. Uh, we'll of course have the, the link up to that, and uh, both myself and Michael will be talking at those events, so you can come and see us there. We've even got a, a joint session together on Active Sync. So if you like mobile devices, if you like managing them, then this session is for you. Uh, and of course, uh, I think my, my session and uh, Michael's got a session, both uh, Office 365 hybrid type uh, sessions as well. Uh, so we're uh, all for the cloud too. And uh, and uh, uh, Justin, uh, you want to give a, a quick mention to, uh, to to your link user group uh, as well in the UK? Yeah, sure. So uh, myself and fellow UC architects contributor and link MVP, Tom Arbuthnot, and uh, Polycom uh, architect and MVP, Adam Jacobs, run a quarterly uh, link user group here in London called uh, Microsoft UC User Group London. And our next one is on Monday the 15th 
of July at 6pm and that'll be at the Polycom London um, ABC uh, in Old Broad Street and you can, we've got the, uh, the sign up there, we'll include that on the website and what we're covering this time around is link call recording, hybrid options and I'll be doing a bit of a deep dive into how Skype Federation works with link. Damn, I wish I were in London. <laughs> and we'll go to the pub afterwards. Well. I was going to say, and there's going to be some pub time too, right? Definitely, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and thanks for that, Justin. And, uh, of course, like everything else on the show, the details for that uh, are up on the, the website this week. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, my co-host this week uh, for joining the show. And this week's editor uh, may well be Andrew Price. And we want to remind you that the UC Architects are online. So visit our website at uh, theucarchitects.com or follow us on Twitter at the UC Architects. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash the UC Architects. And of course, uh, check out our LinkedIn group. Now, podcast episodes are available on our Windows phone app, the iTunes store, and in your favorite RSS podcast client. Uh, so see our website uh, again for, for links to everything on the show. And we'll see you back for the next episode with Pat Hosting. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.